This event was recorded live at the 2015 Edinburgh International Book Festival. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and a very warm welcome to the Edinburgh International Book Festival. My name's Nick Barley, I'm the director of the festival, and it's my great pleasure to introduce today's event, which is sponsored by the Scottish Mortgage Investment Trust. Being director of this festival uh, gives me some special moments and so, uh, the special opportunity to put together writers with people who I think will uh, give particularly interesting discussions. And today is an event which is especially close to my heart. It features two of my favourite writers, including one who has been described as one of the most exciting writers alive. And the person who described Jenny Erpenbeck as that is Michelle Faber, who is indeed going to be conducting today's interview. You may know Michelle. He's one of Scotland's most exciting living writers, the author of, among other things, The Crimson Petal and the White, and most recently, The Book of Strange New Things, which we launched this afternoon in paperback form. So it's special. It's important to me, and I hope it will be as good for you as I'm expecting it to be for me. So please give a very warm welcome to Michelle Faber and Jenny Erpenbeck. Are we both mic'd up? Yes, I, I can hear myself. Can you hear yourself? I don't know. Yes, yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. yes, we're there, I think. Okay. Um, <coughs> just as a, as a way of, of introducing what sort of book The End of Days is, I, I want to explain to you how I came to be here today. Um, it very nearly didn't happen. Um, Five years ago, I gave Jenny Erpenbeck's previous novel, Visitation, a terrific review for The Guardian. And four years ago, uh, when Jenny came to the Edinburgh International Book Festival, I chaired her event. And that was a lovely event. Um, I certainly remember it as, as lovely, but it was overshadowed by the fact that my wife, Eva, was terminally ill at the time. And Eva died last July, July 2014. Shortly afterwards, uh, Portobello, Jenny Erpenbeck's publisher, sent me The End of Days in a jiffy bag, hoping, I guess, that I would review it again for The Guardian or Maybe The Guardian contacted me directly, I can't remember now, and it really makes no difference because I didn't read the book. Um, I wasn't reading any books, and indeed I, I really don't read fiction anymore. Um, fiction just doesn't connect with me, I, I just don't see the point of, of novels. Um, so. About six months after that, uh, Nick Barley contacted me and said, we're having Jenny Erpenbeck at the festival again. Would you like to chair her event? And I said, I, I'm sorry, Nick. I really don't think it's going to happen. I haven't read a book. I'm not reading any books. I'm grieving. You know, it's, it's, it's not going to happen. And he said, well, just have a look at the book. Just open it and have a look. And... I did. I opened it at the first page, and this is what I read. The Lord gave and the Lord took away, her grandmother said to her at the edge of the grave. But that wasn't right, because the Lord had taken away much more than had been there to start with, and everything her child might have become was now lying there at the bottom of the pit, waiting to be covered up. Three handfuls of dirt, and the little girl running off to school with her satchel on her back now lay there in the ground, her satchel bouncing up and down as she runs ever farther. Three handfuls of dirt, and the ten-year-old playing the piano with pale fingers lay there. Three handfuls, and the adolescent girl whose bright coppery hair men turn to stare at as she passes was interred. Three handfuls tossed down into the grave, and now even the grown woman 
who would have come to her aid when she herself had begun to move slowly, taking some task out of her hands with the words, Oh, mother! She too was being slowly suffocated by the dirt falling into her mouth. Beneath three handfuls of dirt, an old woman lay there in the grave, a woman who herself had begun to move slowly, one to whom another young woman or a son at times might have said, Oh, mother, now she too was waiting to have dirt thrown on top of her until eventually the grave would be full again. In fact, even a bit fuller than full, since, after all, the mound of earth on a grave is always round on top because of the body underneath, even if the body lies far below the surface where no one can see. The body of an infant that has died unexpectedly produces hardly any roundness at all. But really, the mound ought to be as huge as the Alps, she thinks, even though she's never seen the Alps with her own eyes. And at that point I knew that this book was going to speak to me and that I was going to email Nick Bailey, uh, Nick Bailey and say yes. And this book is why I'm here with you this afternoon. The book looks at all the alternative lives that we might live, uh, the, the little girl who dies at the very beginning there um, in an alternative version of that narrative is rescued by her mother um, with a handful of snow applied to the baby's chest. The baby survives and lives some time, becomes a teenager. We get the, that story. Then we get an alternative story again of the child managing to grow into a youngish woman who um, is involved in Stalin's Russia, has to give an uh, account of her life in order not to fall foul of the Communist Party. Um, Again, there are different options there. In one version of the story, her papers are placed to one side of the desk. She survives. In another version of the story, she ends up in a labor camp and comes to a tragic end. In one of the versions of the story, she becomes a very well-respected writer in um, Eastern Europe and virtually gets a state funeral with all honors. And in yet another version, she becomes an old lady and she's frail and in a nursing home. So all of these um, alternative realities are um, evoked very fully and very convincingly by Jenny Erpenbeck. And have any of you read Visitation, her previous novel? Yeah, um, you'll, you'll know what I mean then with each of the owners of, of the house in visitation. We, we want each of them to have that house because when we're in, in the character that Jenny Erpenbeck is evoking, we feel the house is really theirs and that they deserve to have it. And this is magic that she pulls off with each of the successive owners. And similarly in, in this novel, each of the alternative lives that this person might have lived. We feel very much that that is the definitive one, that's the real one. And then, of course, another one comes along. Before we, we go on to the, the book itself, I just want to ask Jenny something about her parents and grandparents. Je Jenny's grandparents were both leading figures in East Germany's literary establishment and members of the Communist Party. And her father, John, uh, is a, a scientist. Her mother, Doris Kilias, was a translator from Arabic into German. 
and we'll, we'll talk about your mother in, in, a, in a second, but first, I can't help asking, in, in Visitation, there's an amazing scene of a little Jewish girl who's hiding in a cupboard from the Nazis. Um, and her name is Doris. And the novel is dedicated to Doris Kaplan. And your mother's name was Doris. So I'm just wondering what's the connection there with those three, three Dorises? Yeah, <coughs> actually the... the the book was dedicated to the Jewish girl named Doris Kaplan, mm -hmm. which uh, was the person I, I start to describe in my book. But of course, I, I um, in reality, we couldn't know, couldn't find out how her end was. I invented something in the book. Mm -hmm. um, and somehow I, I, liked, I liked it about her that she is wearing the same name as my mom. Mm -hmm. It was very familiar to me, um, but it, yeah, there was a there was also one of my books. My first book uh, book was dedicated to my mom. Yes, but uh, yeah, the Doris is the Jewish girl. Yeah, but I like the name Doris. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now Doris is like very close to me, and well then I felt like sh like she was a member of my family. So. Sometimes I would tell my friends about the book, and then I would say, you know, she's from my Jewish family. And then they knew I mean the Jewish family in my book. Right. So it was like, <laughs> like somehow my family. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's, there's no dedication in the end of days, but in a way the whole book is a dedication. There's Can no dedication? There's, there's a, there's a, there's a, a Sebald... Um, there's a quote from Sebald. Ah, there is a dedication in Germany and they left it out. <laughs> <laughs> uh -huh. there's, there's a couple of typos in the, in the book as well, which I will raise with, with Portobello later. But um, um, anyway. Uh, However, clear, clearly it was dedicated the, the to my husband. Right, so right. Uh -huh. You know. He's missed out. He's missed out. Um, but in a way, also that the book is is a huge dedication to to your to your mother. Can you can you tell me a little bit about your mother and the circumstances that lie behind, you know, when you were composing this book? Yeah. So so <coughs> probably I um, was in a similar situation as you are now in uh, similar, not the same, but but. Um, when we met, I, I just had lost my mom, and I I went uh, through a time of uh, dealing with the loss. So change of of our daily routines in which she she was very present. She we were like really very close and good friends, and she took care for my child when my husband was not at home. And you know she she was very close to us. And then when I lost her. Um, it was not only to uh, to have to n have to learn to live without a mother, but also to to deal with a household and and to give away all the things that bear so much memories for me and 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 so it was like two years only thinking of questions of death and of loss. So so there was nothing else in my mind to to write about and then. As I always did, also before, when I couldn't find any solution, uh, and there is no solution, so to deal with uh, death is, is there's no solution, but but it somehow it's a help if you can, um, yeah, if you start writing about it, and you you can put into the center of your work what what is in the center of your mind mm -hmm. and and somehow just to look at it just to look at it but i didn't want to write about my mom or something like that it uh, it was more the the question of how we how what we make out of a by so called biography which in the end seems often very logical so like 
she was born there, grew up, had such parents, siblings, whatever, and then profession and so on. So it seems to be like one way with, uh, with no um, decisions on it, you know. And I thought if she would have died as a child, it would be completely different at the end of the Second World War. Or mm -hmm. I started thinking about the question, what person would have died? Would she be my mom also if she would have died as a child or something like mm -hmm. that? So um, uh, I wouldn't have been born, so there would, would have been no one to mourn in the way a daughter is, is, is mourning for, uh, at the death of a mom. And you know, there things would change and uh, <coughs> I also got the feeling that the, the same material which is there from the beginning um, in, in different moments of life is, is differently looked at. So, mm -hmm, so like mm -hmm. you have the same material but some things in some times of life have a weight and then they lose weight and then they probably come back in a different way. So, so in my book um, the mum of the main char character comes back when, when the main character is 90 years old and she starts all of a sudden speaking to a mum which died like 50 years ago. So, so things are, um, are shifting and, and are making, in, I think in every moment, um, a new, yeah, a new version of the life, and and the structure we put on it to give it some sense is made by us yeah. for some reason, and it's not fixed. It's not like an objective truth yeah. or something. There's like that. there's also a lot of stuff in the book about the secrets that we keep from from our children for their sake. Uh, in one of the versions of of this woman's history, um, the mother never tells her daughter that her father was killed by Poles in an anti-Semitic attack that just stays a family secret. In another version of the story she comes out with it and, and the mother and daughter share this and I think Jenny is interested in, in the different weight that those untold um, big events in, in a in a child's prehistory, if you like, can have. Um, there's, a, there's, a, there's a part in the book, actually, where, um, where she says of one of the characters, he carries around with him a vast, dark land, all the stories his mother never told him or that she hid from him. Um, now, Jenny, you have a son yourself. You, is he carrying around a dark... <laughs> vast land of all the things you never told him. No, there are always uh, things in the family history which probably are told a bit later and then it turns out, the bit later it turns out to be never. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm sure everyone knows if you lose someone who's so close to you, um, you always think, ah, I should have asked this or that. Mm -hmm. Um, and there's no more chance to of, of going back and you lose so many stories. You also lose your own picture in the eyes of someone else. Mm -hmm. You lose a, a big part of your own history and you can never get it back mm -hmm. if you haven't spoken about it before. Sure. Sure. And so it's not only someone who's lost, it's also you in a way that that is lost. And um, yeah, what interested me was the question of secrets. Family secrets are, are a special thing and they are kept carefully. But if someone dies, the children or grandchildren, they will open all the cupboards and all the uh, drawers and they will find everything. So there's nothing to be hidden except, anymore. Except the except narrative that they build around the things that they find will be different from the narrative that you would have supplied if you could have been there to explain what these objects really yeah yeah so so um i've got the feeling uh yeah if a child comes in the age of like um, 
of understanding things, you should use your chance to tell the things in a good way mm -hmm. and not just leave the children alone. Sometimes, also in our family, I think, mm, you never know, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I think um, things are clear. But but I know some other families of friends, so for instance, that the children are not the children of the father and, th and they were never told and you know, like things like that. And it has to do uh, with the existence of the children. So if, if you um, go away, pass away without telling them, they will have a real problem in their lives. And, and I think this is also worth uh, thinking about. Yeah, yeah. Um, in terms of, of losing oneself as well as losing others, uh, I, was, I was interested in um, this, this topic of what the East Germans call nostalgia. Nostalgia for the way things were before the, the fall of, of the wall. And you've written in an essay, which I believe has not been translated in, in, into English, but... Um, You've said that you're not sentimental about the old regime, but you do feel a sense of loss at the way all that history was instantly erased, as if your, 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 um, the way you put it in, in the essay, my childhood became a museum exhibit. Hmm. Would, would you like to talk a little bit about, or give an example perhaps, of, of the way that, that history disappeared? May I, um you know, the, the fall of the wall happened in one evening, <laughs> mm -hmm. all of a sudden, and it changed everything in an in a unbelievable um, speed. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, everything means really like the culture, the things you could buy, the prices for the place where you lived, the jobs the schools, everything changed. So, so, uh, and, and it, it, it happened so quickly, like in the course of one year, everything was completely changed. And then, uh, then you start thinking about your own memory because you know you cannot go back anymore. You cannot find the things where they were. Mm -hmm. You only have your memory and you know the memory is changing and sometimes is wrong for some reason or different from the memory of others and um, yeah for instance I I went to a bookstore and opened a book and it was black and white photographies and there were photographies of the East German times and I saw only sh uh, shops with a long queue in front mm -hmm. of it and then I thought there was not a queue in front of every shop Mm -hmm. because I had a normal life and there were some cues sometimes for mm -hmm. some reason like oranges at Christmas time um, but it was not my daily experience mm -hmm. and then I started mm -hmm. distrusting my own memory and, and I think what the, the point was and probably the starting point for me to write at all was that it happened so suddenly so that it was also a cut and also the death of my mom was like a cut. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, so I started thinking about the, um, how things change and how can it be that something you, you more or less uh, hope, no, not ho hope is the wrong, but you somehow you have the feeling it will last forever mm -hmm. and then it doesn't last mm -hmm. and, and it's moving. And there must be um, a way until it changes, but during the way, you cannot feel that it will change so completely. Of course, someone gets older or the GDR was not perfect, you know, but, but that it change, changes completely or that, that if someone dies, you, you are facing nothing. Mm -hmm. You are facing the absolute nothing. And this is a real, um, yeah, an experience uh, that that really made me thinking about um, the nature of of uh, changes. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, 
your books, Visitation, and particularly the, the End of Days, take people straight to the heart of loss. Um, there's no um, there's no pussyfooting around. It 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 really confronts what it is to to lose people and the the unnegotiability of fate. What happens to people through political tragedy or through through illness and um, the the Financial Times review of the book begins whether we like it or not all of us know that we are born to die well most people don't like it <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, do, you, do you sometimes feel that you're forcing people to confront things that they really don't want to confront they don't want to go there now, yeah, let's say I knew that to start a book with the death of an infant is not like a beginning of a bestseller, you know. <laughs> no, it's it's like an and yeah, and it's uh, but you you cannot pay attention to this. You you if you know that the book I I wanted to tell a story of a long life, mm -hmm. so. So there, the, the first death has to be in the beginning. This is very clear. It was not easy to write, and, and I was not thinking that people will love it, you know. But but I thought it has to be written in this way, and and also in the readings, it's not it's not easy to t start with a starting point. But I have to. I cannot leave it out, and and yeah. I think I had to. I had to face this experience, and everyone has to face it on some day. Everyone is losing parents or wives or husbands or children or whatever he, he or she loves. And so it's a very, it's, a, it's an experience we have in common, ev even if we don't like it. And probably w some of you, n of you uh, know that if uh, something like that has happened, all of a sudden, all other people will open up to you mm -hmm. and will tell you also their st uh, stories of sorrow and of death and of loss. And so it's like uh, there's not so much uh, occasion to, to speak about death. Yeah. Only if you have lost someone, you all of a sudden see that, that it's everywhere. And, and, and even the people in... if I went in some store and, and bought something, we would start to speak about death or something. It was really weird because it's so present in, th in those moments. And then you, I thought it's, um, I have to face it and everyone has to face it and probably someone reads a book. Well, uh, yeah, yeah, it's not, it's not you know, it's not like summer holiday yeah, uh, well, um, reading, <laughs> like, you know. M most fiction, of course, that, that is bestseller and that, that most people read is in denial of death. It, it's, it's looking at love affairs before the people grow old and, you know, lose one another. It's, it's that magic moment before that all happens. It's James Bond narrowly avoiding death, the helicopters exploding behind him, but he's all right. You know, it's, it's death really isn't real in, in those books. And this is a book in which death is real, but it's also very, very beautifully written. And I found um, very, very consoling and very inspirational, even though it is confronting these things very directly. And what I think would be nice to have now is, is a reading by Jenny herself from a later part of the book where um, Frau Hoffmann, as, as she is finally named, is is quite elderly. Do you read escapist fiction, by the way? Do you do you read fiction that's purely to escape, not to think about life and its significance? No. Right. My lifetime is too short, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. I only like to read books I really need. Yes. So like. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I also the entertaining books you are the ones you really need, that yeah. they are really uh, good books you can l laugh at, 
but they are also very basic. Mm -hmm. So so, but it's not like like the love story or something like that. And mm -hmm. uh, sometimes also love stories can be basic. But okay. So now she she's an old woman and she's in the home for old people and uh, her her son had to bring her to the home for old people because he's married to a woman who who doesn't like his mother so much. So, but he's visiting her at her 19th birthday and they they um, drive a bit to a forest and they are sitting in the forest now. And he was brought up in Vienna where he, the week before he visits her, he, he spent in, in Vienna during a business trip and now he's telling her also about Vienna and so on. And then she's sitting beside her son in who knows what sunshine beneath who knows what blue sky with plenty of good fresh air in the middle of the world. It's so wonderful you're here, she says. I'm glad to see you too. It's such a great help to me, but you don't know anything about it and it's good you don't know. It isn't good to know more. Her son is silent. Tell me, was your trip nice? Her son tells her about Vienna, the Naschmarkt and Café Museum. I have such a longing. You know, I want to live and I cannot. When I die, a place will be empty, that's all, and a new place will be occupied. I love you, her son says, taking his mother's hand. Really? That's nice, she says. Her hand lies cold and bony in his large, warm hand. You know, she says, I'm afraid that everything will be lost that the trace will be lost. What trace, her son asks. I don't know anymore from where or to where. Her son is silent. A few clouds are crossing the broad sky. Two airplanes flying high in the air have made trails up there that are gradually turning back into sky. The son recalls that Oh, until only a few years ago, there would sometimes be an ear-splitting crack in the middle of a silence like this when supersonic aircraft broke the sound barrier during a military maneuver. Now, the Russians, generally referred to as our friends, have long since gone home and the training grounds of the National People's Army have been relocated. And probably it is no longer legal to break through the sound barrier just as part of some drill. Now everything is quiet and the sky is almost as empty as it was in the age of the hunter-gatherers. I think that if we try playing, it will be a peculiar sort of game, his mother says. Four weeks before the Berlin Wall fell, his mother received the national prize first class for her life's work. She walked to the front of the auditorium on his arm to receive the certificate and the little box. Now he is sitting with her on a bench at the edge of the woods. The leaves rustle behind them and before them lies a white, gently sloping field upon which the blue-green wheat is still only knee-high. When the wind sweeps across it, it looks almost like water. I just wanted to tell you his mother says, this is my good, good, lovely farewell. Oh, mother, he says, stroking her back. My fear of the future, she says, has not yet failed. A couple of his mother's friends wanted to come to celebrate her birthday, but he told them no, because he was ashamed for his mother or because he was of the opinion that his mother should be preserved in her friend's memories just as she used to be? Whom was he doing a favor, her, her friends or himself? It sinks down over you from above to below. You don't know what side's coming from. I don't know and you probably don't know either. No, I don't know. Never has he known as little as he does now. The only thing he knows is that his not knowing is of a very different sort than hers. His mother's not knowing is as deep as a river on whose distant shore there must be a very different sort of world than the one he lives in. 
I don't know how you recognize a human being. I don't know from whom I can demand everything. Do they come to us or from us? I don't know what is coming. I don't know anything. I don't know when big is, when is little. I don't know what to do. I don't know where I was at home. There's so much I don't know. I don't know what is happening. It begins slowly and then it ends slowly. I don't know which I like better. I don't know if my heart will beat again. I don't know the big difference. I don't know. I don't know and I don't understand either. I know what I know, but it isn't all tied up with names. I think this is all make-believe. I think that's it. In this land to which his mother is crossing over, no longer able to understand anything she once understood, she will no longer need any words. This much he understands. For one brief, sharp, clear moment, he understands what it would be like if he could arrive there along with her. The wheat field would be, would be there right from the start, just like the rustling of the leaves at his back, the si silence would be filled to the brim, that deafening crack living only in his memory, absent now. And the memory that filled out this silence would be just as real as the footsteps of all the human beings walking upon the earth at this moment, along with their falling, falling down, their jumping, crawling, and sleeping at this very moment. Just as real as all, that mutely lay or float within the earth, the springs, the roots, and the dead. The cry of the cuckoo, off to one side, would be just as real as the stones crunching beneath the sole of his shoe, as the coolness of the evening and the light falling through the leaves to the ground before him, as his hand that he is using to stroke his mother's back, feeling her bones beneath her thin, old skin, Bones that will soon be laid bare, briefly, sharply, clearly, he knows for one instant what it would feel like if the audible and the inaudible, things distant and near, the inner and outer, the dead and the living were simultaneously there. Nothing would be above anything else. And this moment, when everything was simultaneously there, would last forever. But because he is a human being, a middle-aged man with a wife, two children, a profession, because he still has some time ahead of him, time during which he can look up something he doesn't know in an encyclopedia or ask one of his colleagues, this knowing, free of language, passes from him just as suddenly as it arrived. He'll be prevented from seeing this other world with the eyes of his mother for a good earthly time by the absence of the most crucial thing, the going away. I dreamed that I was dreaming, and suddenly it was no longer a dream. Thank you. <clears throat> I had a, a, a question prepared for this event, um, which I've realized is misconceived. Um, I was going to say that The End of Days feels like a very final book. It feels like the final statement about life, the universe and everything from a writer. And is this your final book? But you told me a few minutes ago that a book is about to be published <laughs> in, in Germany and also imminently in the UK. Can you tell us about that? So it, it will be out in the world in two days. <laughs> it's um, <laughs> Well, out in the German world in two the days. The German world first, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I wrote about a group of African refugees in Berlin, which are not accepted and are not allowed to work and are still there and uh, have been living in Berlin for three years now in this state, which is no state. Uh, yeah, yeah. St status or Stateless, you know, yeah, yeah, status. Yeah. Um, still waiting, and I, I was uh, also in my other books. I um, 
the question of time, how to fill time and, and how time is filled with some material of like life or biography or things that happen interest me also in the, in the other books and the question of biography and, and as I told you the, the cut, the, the sudden cut which makes a difference from one moment mm -hmm. to the other. other and I, I had the feeling that all these questions probably can be answered in a, in a deep and, and good way by the refugees because they are caught in, in like a box of time. Mm -hmm. They they are not allowed to fill the time. They are just waiting, and and so I thought I just start to speak with them, and then I spent one one year speaking to them and sharing. They are not sharing their lives, of course. I'm living in an apartment, and you know, but but like accompanying them to the lawyer, to the doctor, to whatever, mm -hmm. and then I, uh, you know somehow um yeah somehow shared a part of their lives and mm. and this was a very very good experience and 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 what yeah, is the book know. called in german uh it's called something like uh go went gone right so like a grammar structure you know like like the presence the yeah. the past and the past participle or <laughs> something like that i'm not yeah. a teacher you know when when I lived in Australia, uh, and there were a lot of Vietnamese uh, immigrating to Australia in the eighties, the the people who were most prejudiced against them, who were most viciously racist, were the Greeks and and the Lebanese and the, and the Turks, the the previous mm. wave of generation mm. uh, of of uh, immigration. In Germany, is there a similar reaction from, say, the, the, the Turks, who, who were a previous wave, against the Africans? No. The Turks is there more solidarity? Unfortunately, the Turks are not the worst. The worst are the... I have to confess, the worst are the East Germans. Mm -hmm. mm, but I think the problem is, if you haven't found your place yet yourself or you are on the on the side of the poor or the, the ones that are not completely identified with a society mm -hmm. which I think is the case also for the, the young generation still mm -hmm. because they are the, the children of the parents that ha have had the broken biographies uh, sure. because of the fall of the world so, so they are not quite they are living in the West now, but it's it's not not the West as it is on the West side. You know, it's mm -hmm. it's a bit different and it's a bit less. So Germans still identify as East Germans and. Naja, and it's not only about identifying yourself, but the situation is there's less industry, mm -hmm. less jobs. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's. The inf infrastructure, infrastructure is, is yeah. not so developed. So if you if you want to travel, for instance, from Munich to Hamburg, it will be much easier than to travel from Munich to Rostock, mm -hmm. because there is no direct train mm -hmm. connection or something like that. You yeah. have to change train three or four times or something like that. Yeah. So and and uh, I think it must be the reason, and I think it's a, it's a, a big and and um, painful misunderstanding because. If if the poor people, which are let's say like half uh, arrived in mm -hmm. the country, are fighting the people that are not yet half arrived <laughs> but just arriving, yes. uh, and and there is a big misunderstanding because they they are on one side, yeah, and on the other side there are s completely different people. Now your your mother translated from Arabic into German. Mm. So she presumably would have had quite a um, significant connection with the literate, cultured Arab world. Um, how did she feel and how do you feel about the other side of the Arab world and, and all, all the um, controversy and, and the, the grief that's surrounding that at the moment? Naya, she, she could have helped me a lot now. 
Mm -hmm. I'm really missing her also because of this, because all the Africans are speaking Arab, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but not me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and yeah. and probably there there is a certain connection uh, to the to to the African world also because of my mom. I I don't know, mm -hmm. um, but but uh, the people I spoke with uh, were mostly from like south of Sahara. Mm -hmm. Like Nigeria, Niger, Mali, Burkina Faso, mm -hmm. West Africa. So it's not like Arabic people, and um, and it's interesting that also the Arabs have a strong racism. Mm -hmm. So also the Arabs, which are traditionally have been the the, the you know the people that ha had the, the the black African slaves, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. they are not friends to the. African people, well, so, so it's, it's also not so, not so easy. One of the lovely things about the end of days, one of the consoling or inspirational things is, is that this work, um, it, it shows us how much energy is wasted in people's hatred for each other mm. because our lives are all so short mm. and um, we miss the opportunities to share precious things with each other because we're wasting mm. time on political ideologies and on on racial hatreds and, and so on. Anyway, I'd love to talk to you longer, but I I'd, I'd, I think it's time to to have some questions from the audience. Uh, if you could wait until the microphone reaches you, and also be mindful that Jenny's first language is not English, so speak clearly. Yes, yeah, and slowly, and please. to be brutally honest, to be very Australian about it, don't waffle. <laughs> <laughs> The lady there is keen, just there. Um, actually, I am Australian, so I <laughs> will not waffle. Um, Jenny, I adore your books, and one of the things that I like about them is that there is a trend in translated literature into English to be... Um, the books feel like often they could be set anywhere. There is it's quite often just like a very general urban experience whereas your books uh, I live in Berlin and I, f I really identify with the inescapable history in that city and I see it in your books do you feel uh, and now with your your new book and very sort of contemporary issue in Berlin do you feel a responsibility to talk about the German experience as a writer? Naya, I think um, you are right. In, in Europe, you cannot escape history. Every family is involved in the, in the fleeing and in the probably also in the staying, which was not much better. Uh, and and, uh, and uh, um, not only because there were some bombings or whatever, but also because the staying was also a decision against someone probably. So like like my grandparents who were immigrants, uh, when they came back, they didn't want to shake hands with anyone because they thought everybody was uh, on the fascist uh, side and, and the home is no more home. So like the staying was also a decision. The g fleeing was a decision, but the staying as well. Um, and I think it's uh, it's not such a big step as it might seem to uh, come to the contemporary history be because um, the the refugee um, issue is uh, the same as it was in 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 the time of my grandparents or also the parents and. Uh, it's only someone else who's fleeing nowadays, and uh, the places, the, the reasons probably are, are, the reasons are also the same because it's war or poverty or whatever. Uh, so it's only that that it's taking place now, what what uh, might seem new, but but the legends. Um, uh, the legends that will be m made of it are taking place now. And, mm -hmm. and you know, we are very used in Germany to tell the stories of the Jewish people that had been saved 
and the good people that even saved only one person and you know like or someone survived because uh, some worker uh, left uh, the, the the crust of a, of a bread somewhere and then he would survive you know th things like that tiny things and I think it's it's not it's not too much to compare the the refugee refugee situation to to these stories uh, which we know really quite well in Germany mm -hmm. so it's always in the in the back of our minds. Any more questions? Perhaps the gentleman there in the beard to have a different chromosome second. <laughs> Jenny, in your books you choose not to, by and large, not to name your characters. Um, they're described as the grandmother or the granddaughter or the gardener or Comrade H. So why did you make that choice? Yeah, in the end, she gets a name. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, this is nice. <laughs> nice song. Yeah. Now, yeah, it was not a, like a decision in the beginning. I just felt like it's enough to tell her a child or a woman or a mother or a grandmother. And then I thought it's nice that also her name is changing because it's not a, a name, but it's the uh, generation she belongs to that gives her the name. So, so, so she, her, her um, growing older is also told by changing the, 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 the name for her. Also, also women are defined by their relationships to children and parents. And for example, the, the woman at the beginning of this, who has the stillborn child, she is a mother for how many hours? 18 hours or mm. something. And then she's not a mother anymore. She's a different identity because she doesn't have a child anymore. So I think Jenny's interested in, in those identity strangenesses as, as well. Yeah, but but um, I was asked this question several times. Yeah. <laughs> and because, you know, you have to keep on moving and changing. So in my new novel, the main character has a name from the <laughs> beginning. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no, because it's, I think you cannot make a system out of it. Yeah. It, it's uh, after two or three books, it's really boring. So yeah, I mean, when I got the reputation mm -hmm. of, of always having these sympathetic female characters, that's when I wrote this book of Strange New Things where the, you've got a male lead character and he's really nice, etc. <laughs> um, any more questions for Jenny? Very keen woman there, right. Um, I haven't read your books yet, but I will. Um, do all your life stories end with death? Or have you written about the possibility of life beyond death? I'm not thinking about heaven and hell and that sort of thing, but people continuing after the grave. I saw. After <laughs> the grave. Yeah. Well, uh, for example, in Irish, we have one novel, Crane Killer, which is about the characters in the graveyard. And as each person <laughs> dies, it comes down and brings news of what's happening in the village. It's very <laughs> exciting, the husband who's got married again and uh -huh. the person who wasn't buried in the proper grave. So, you know, life beyond death in hmm. whatever that might be. Uh, we've got I bad news for you. <laughs> 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 um... Something uh, to think about. <laughs> not yet, but uh, but one of my favorite books is the uh, Edgar Lee Masters. The the oh God, I I'm really this is my um, Kelly Masters. My no Edgar Lee Masters. Right. Uh, the the oh God, oh God, oh God. I'm so bad. If I'm asked names, you know, I know the book very well. It's written by author H. <laughs> <laughs> whatever, read Edgar Limasas, whatever. Yeah. He, he wrote a wonderful book about a graveyard and as if he would walk over the graveyard and all the people would tell their stories. And I really, really loved the book. 
even if I don't, cannot tell the name now, but this <laughs> is not this is not forgetting, but this is like panicking, you know. Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> a, the, it's only a, panicking. There's <laughs> a beautiful, beautiful passage in the end of days mm -hmm. where where the dead ah, uh, where, the, where the dead explain. I know. Mm -hmm. Spoon River anthology. Yes. Spoon right. River anthology. Right. I really love and admire this book, yeah. and it's and and you get all the the, the life of the village by because you get the truth about all stories and, and the stories behind the told stories because they are dead and can tell the truth. It, it's amazing. Right. It's a great Let's book. see if we can squeeze mm. in another question or two. Um, this man over there, he is really, really... Really keen. Which man? This man. <laughs> <laughs> I, 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 I shouldn't point on None that. None of them have <laughs> names, but this man. <laughs> I'm very struck by your interest in um, identity and incarnation and time. And I wonder if you're influenced by Buddhist philosophy at all. By, by what Influenced philosophy? by Buddhist philosophy at Ach all? So. Not until now. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, it sounds like a joke, but it's no joke. Um, I think there's a lot to discover. And, and um, if I have enough time, I, I probably will uh read things i know there's a lot to a lot to know but i i haven't uh, there's so dealt much with of mm. of your ideas it's like reading a fictionalized version of the upanishads or something like that i'm just uh -huh. hearing endless uh. Uh, so it's, i think it would be a mm. lovely contrast well it is it's a wise book and i guess in that sense it taps into other people who've who've had insights um if we can have one very quick she. question, the lady she. in front here, yes. The lady in the center. Ah, so do uh, you have wait, to wait, wait for, for the, the microphone, mic. please. Thank you. Um, these are a few factual questions. The wall came down in 1989. Yes. When you came to West Germany, was that straight after or was it some? I never came no, to no. West you, Germany. You're still in? I'm still in the East. Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, the East doesn't exist, I but I'm yeah. still in it, you know. Yeah. <laughs> this is a miracle. Ah. It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, when you, before the wall came down, was the East still very much communist with people spying on each other? <laughs> if, if you read The End of Days, there's an extraordinary section in it where um, one of the characters is basically fighting for her life by writing her life story for the communist officials. Right. Yeah, but so this was this took place in the Soviet Union in the 30s, and true, this is different yeah. from what took place in the GDR yeah, later on, a yeah, bit. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for God's sake. Yeah. <laughs> um, no, um, there was not behind every tree someone spying first. Um, I... I managed to survive easily. I have had a happy childhood. And we ourselves didn't call it communism, but socialism. So the communism was the, the aim. So like in 200 years, probably we will reach the communist society, but it was socialist, which is a difference. And, um, you know, that... Um, for instance, in every house, there was someone from the Stasi, but we knew, so nobody would talk to him. <laughs> and we would say, ah, the poor guy is working for the Stasi, and he has not very much material to write about. And when <laughs> I, uh, you know, I, I was not, I was very young when, the, naja, not so young, but I was 20 a bit when the wall came down, and uh, I was like, uh, I was not politically um, engaged in this time, like like in some uh, illegal party or whatever, or church. I, I'm not a member in the church, so um, so there was not much to write about me. And you know that what what you never could do, like asking to read your dossier. Mm -hmm. We were able to do it, which is quite interesting. And then I, of course, I applied to get my papers out of the archive. And then I got my map 
the, 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 like the, the documents, and it was only three pages in it. <laughs> I was really disappointed <laughs> that, uh, <laughs> that I was not important enough to write a lot about me. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to do the unforgivable here and interrupt a very interesting story being told by a wonderful author, <laughs> because we really have run out we of time. Um, Jenny will be signing books in the signing tent. Please give her time to get there and get settled. And if you have any more brief questions, I'm sure she'd be happy to answer them as you get your book signed. But in the meantime, can we please have a big round of applause for Jenny? Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. More podcasts and videos of Edinburgh International Book Festival events are available at www.edbookfest.co.uk on iTunes and YouTube. Just search for Edbookfest.